electronics when I first started trying to use those things, that's drive you nuts. Uh, we used to use video clips back in the 90s. And uh, they didn't have them manufactured like they do today where they're already cut. <laughs> and I was trying to use one from a movie. And it didn't cut off just right. And the next three words were profanity. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, I was in big trouble. I'm going to tell you, I was, I was embarrassed. I was whatever. Change is hard, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Change is hard. Just uh, put your hands together. Just put your hands together. Now, um, if, if you're sanctified, your uh, right hand, your right thumb will be over your left hand. If you're weird, you're, now, just whatever way you do it, do it, take them apart and do it the other way. Doesn't that feel weird? Now, Dean, you're weird anyway. I mean, it, I mean it, it's, just, it's just weird anyway. You, you, you cross your arms. And then just do it, do it differently. I mean, I don't even feel like it's me. Change is hard, isn't it? It is. It's weird. It feels weird. And worship is one of the, you know, the big deals that we get upset about. We change things. I had a guy one time, I did offering at the end of the service. And man, he called me and said, Brother Dan, I want to take you to lunch. I said, okay. You know, I didn't know what it was about. And man, he just blistered me over putting offering at the end. And I said, so... So tell me, what are, what are you so upset about? We're still taking up the offering. He said, well, everything in the world is changing. And when I come to church, I don't want anything to change. So that was true a lot there. Uh, the church, Shirley and I served for 16 years. We were, we were, uh, we were growing, and we were, gonna, uh, we were cleaning out a storage area to start a Sunday school class in uh, 1984. And... Uh, we were cleaning out a corner where all this stuff was stacked, and I was cleaning it out, and I found this stack of bulletins from 1954. And I don't know why they were keeping them. We weren't going to reuse them, but there was a stack about that high of bulletins in 1954. So I pulled it out, and it was, it was the Baptist Sunday School Board, where I worked for 12 years. It was the same bulletin we'd used, used in 1984, same bulletin. It didn't have the same cover on it, but it was very similar. I turned it to the inside. It had the same order of service. 1954, and uh, Isetta Parrish was playing the organ, and her sister Cornelia Ashby was playing the piano. And we sing in the same songs, had the same order of worship, and uh, the, the same men were taking up the offering at the same point, wearing the same clothes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding, man. It just, I mean, they did. It was nothing had changed. If you had gone to sleep in Zion Baptist Church in 1954. And somebody woke you up in 1984. I mean, the only thing that had been different was the back of the head you was looking at. They had less hair. I mean, that, that was it. And I said to them, I said, church, don't you think in 30 years we ought to change something? I mean, so I just told them, we, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're fixing to change some things. And uh, we started growing, reaching boys and girls, men and women of the gospel. And... Uh, you know, people, when I went there, the search committee told me, we want to reach young families. Well, I was young. I was 31. We, our daughter was 18 months old, and Charlene's young. She still looks young. Um, by her, it's her birthday today, by the way. Uh, happy birthday. My wife's birthday today. Um, 
So anyway, uh, our nursery was the size of a closet. It was, a, it was 12 by 12. The beds was broken. Spelled in the urine. We wouldn't even put our daughter in there so bad. And, uh, but we was growing and reaching people. And I, I went to the Sunday school director and I said, Rick, his name's Rick O'Daniel. I said, Rick, uh, we need a bigger room. He goes, yeah, but brother, then we ain't got any place to put them. I said, listen, your mother's Sunday school class has the biggest room in the church. The Nina Hankin Sunday school class had the name on the door, had the picture of Jesus. I mean, they had their own chairs. They had designated seating. You know, when you came, you had your, you didn't have to take roll. You just say, Mabel's not in her chair, you know. And so I said, uh, we need that room. He goes, oh, Brother Dan, they've been in there since before I was born. And I, I said, uh, well, do you mind if I talk to them? He said, if you're dumb enough, just go on. He said, you know, I'd been there about, I'd been there, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And uh, so I walked in and I said, ladies. Uh, tell me about Nina Hankins and she was a missionary to Brazil and I said tell me about your Sunday school class and I said so they did and so I said ladies would you take a little field trip with me 15 of them in a room that hold 40 people now one time the room was full back in the 50s probably and uh, these women had grown up together their husband had come back from the second world war and blah 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 so I took them down the hallway and this one lady named Cecil Farley she'd had a stroke she used to work in the nursery she loved young people but she couldn't do it anymore. So here they go down the hallway. Mildred Farrar is their teacher. And they're following me. And Cecil Farley's walking with his four-pronged walker. And we get down. I take him to the nursery. And I say to him, ladies, look here at our nursery. I said, do you realize they got the smallest room in the church? And they said, no, we, we didn't know that. I picked a morning. There was three bed babies in there and three workers in a room 12 by 12. I'm telling you, it smelled. It was awful. And I said, do you realize you've got the largest room in the church? And he said, yeah, yeah, we know that. I said, what do you think we ought to do about that? Cecil Farley, God is my witness. Cecil Farley spoke up. She said, well, we'll just move, Brother Dan. And then there wasn't no vote. She turned around and looked at this woman and, uh, these women, and she said, won't we, ladies? She decreed it. And she said, where do you want us to move? And I said, I, you know, where do you all want to move? She said, we'll talk, and we'll be up here in the morning. And so sure enough, 9 o'clock, they show up. I'm thinking by in the morning, they'll change their mind. So here comes Cecil Farley with her four-pronged walker and uh, uh, Jean Tillotson and Margaret Clutie, their sisters. They ran the library. And they said, uh, they walked in my office, said, Brother Dan, we figured out where we want to move. I said, well, where are you going to move? She said, well, Jean and Margaret here run the library. There's nobody meets in there in Sunday school. We're going to take folding chairs, and we're going to meet in there. And uh, he, she said, now, you want to make our room a nursery? I said, yeah. She said, you're going to need some new beds, aren't you? And I said, we are. And she said, well, that Nina Hankins Sunday School class had been, everybody had been putting in a dollar. They didn't know what it's for. It's just in a kitty. They had $2,000 stuck away. And she said, we'll take care of that. They bought all the beds. She said, uh, you're going to need some mobiles. We'll take care of that. Her daughter uh, 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 Nancy Garrett ran the ch- uh, cradle and teen in Henderson, got it to us for cost. She's, so, so she said, you're going to need some rugs. All that. They took care of all that. And then these senior adult women who had not done a tour of duty in the nursery in 20 years decided that was their nursery. So they started serving. That senior adult women's class, God is my witness, I was there 16 years. That class moved five times. They said to us, Brother Dan, 
Whatever we need to do to reach the young people, we'll do it. We got ready to make a, build a preschool and children's building, and I had some resistance, so I just put Cecil Farley on the stage. <laughs> I had one of my buddies that needed to start a new class, and he wouldn't do it. He said, we ain't moving. I stick Cecil Farley on him. I can see her now walking across the sanctuary, that four-prone walker. His name was Brad. She went over and popped him on the leg. I could read her lips. You will move. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> Here's what we need. We need some Cecil Farleys. Some of you ain't going to like the stuff that's coming. Some of you don't like it now. This ain't about you. You say, why do I come to church? You come to church so that other people can come to church. You come to church so you can get your, your tank filled so you can go out and tell other people about Jesus and invite them to Eastwood to where when they come, they can sing songs that they hear elsewhere. Now, I like hymns. Don't you all like hymns? I like hymns. But I also like the new music. And the deal is, We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes as long as we don't vulgarize or water down the gospel. And that's what you're doing here. That's why I prayed for you. Because we, you got a new pastor coming in here. Guess what? He's going to be younger than me. <laughs> it don't take much. You know? but he, he's, everybody's looking younger to me. But the deal is you're going to get a younger pastor that's probably going to come with a family. And you want to be able to attract these young people, right? Because, look, if you don't do it, guess what? Fifteen years from now, there won't be two-thirds of this congregation won't be here. Hello, aren't you glad you came today? I mean, isn't that exciting? That's real edifying. How did I get off on that? Well, it's important, isn't it? We're going to look today at Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at a woman that gave an extravagant gift to Jesus. Now, there's, it's called a sandwich. It's a sandwich story. There's two stories of treachery, one on the front end, one on the back end. I'm going to read Mark chapter 14. We're making our way to the empty tomb. We're going to talk today about the anointing, but next we're going to talk about the cross, and the next week we're going to get to the empty tomb and celebrate the resurrection. But in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to get crucified, and there are people that wanted him crucified, and, and we're told that in, in verse 1 of Mark chapter 14. After two days, it was the Passover and the festival uh, of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, there may be rioting among the people. So here we got a group of religious leaders that wanted to kill him. At the end of it, let's look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went out to the chief priest to hand him over to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him silver. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. So here you got a group of religious people want to kill him. And you got one of his closest disciples that's going to betray him. But in the middle of that, there's this generous act of kindness. Let's look at verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon who also had a serious skin disease, he was reclining at a table, a woman, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard, 
She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they began to scold her. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told, as a, told in memory of her. So we're talking about it today, 2021. We're talking about this woman's lavish gift. Who was the woman? Well, he was in Bethany. Who, what do we know about Bethany? It was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This, John's gospel tells us this was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, that broke the, the expensive oil and put it on Jesus' head. It was probably the most expensive thing that she owned was probably for her own burial. And yet she knew what Jesus had done for her family, for Lazarus, brought him back from the dead, how she had blessed, how he had blessed her family. So, uh, she had no doubt heard Jesus talk about going to Jerusalem to die. She did this, probably not actually connecting all the dots, but the Holy Spirit used her gift to do something extravagant, to do something outrageous, to do something out that, that, that lasted um, even to this day. So what she did, she took the oil and she poured it on his head. And there were people there, probably Judas, who was the treasurer? They said, why'd you do that? We could have sold that money. We could have sold that and got 300 denarii. That's a lot of money. And Jesus said, why are you bothering her? Leave her alone. What she has done is preparing for my burial. She did what she could. Listen to what he says. She has done what she could. Why did she do it? She did it out of love. Why do we give our lives? Why do we give our lives in service? Why do we give our our resources, our time, our energy, our money? Why do we give them to the Lord? Because of what He's done for us. And that's that's the motivation. She gave out of love, and and you and I are to give out of love. She also gave out of a need that she wasn't even sure what she was doing, but it satisfied a need. She, She... pre-anointed him for before his burial because when Jesus was crucified there wasn't time to anoint him it was right at the Sabbath day so she did ahead of time she gave ahead of time uh, a gift that blessed him uh, in his burial what gift could you give ahead of time what could you what gift could you give now that would bless future generations people not even born yet what could you do to help your church move forward? Some of you are thinking, well, when I die, I'll give this or that. Well, why wait till you die? Why not do something extravagant now? She gave out of love. She gave out a need. The response was, you know, why did you do that? But their hearts weren't pure. It was probably Judas. And Judas then went out and, and betrayed him. One of the ways you can know your heart's right is that you're generous. Everybody that I have known that really loves 
the Lord and his life have been transformed by Jesus are generous people. They're generous in their praise. They're generous in their encouragement. They're generous in their giving. They see a need. They try to meet the need. They try to go beyond that. They're seeking to be generous people. You see, part of what needs to happen here, and I, I don't know all your finances. I, I haven't delved into any of that. But, but I do know there's the COVID and aren't you glad, aren't, aren't you glad we're, we're trying to come out of that? Aren't you glad of that? I mean, we're, we're going to have a party, aren't we? We're just going to celebrate. Uh, I've had people, several of you have come to me. I had my second shot. You know, I'm two weeks. One guy said, I'm two weeks. I said, two weeks out. I'm two weeks free. He said, I'm free. I'm free. I'm two weeks. I said, well, don't get in my face. I ain't had my second one yet, you know. <laughs> but we're going to have a party, aren't we? But during COVID, giving was a challenge, wasn't it? Some of you have never given online in your life except credit cards, and I understand that, but I'm talking, you've had to learn new ways of giving and new things. I've seen people drop their money in a box out here. We, we're looking for a pastor, right? Hello. Now, it, it, it helps me if you all agree with me. It's, it, if I don't think you're getting it, I have to go back and explainify myself, and it takes longer. So we're looking for a pastor, right? And one of the things that a pastor's going to look at Right, Brother Don? Huh? They're going to ask, how's your finances? How's your finances? This church should never have problems with finances. I see the cars you drive. I see the education level you have. Some of you got more degrees than the thermometer's got. I mean, you got some highly educated people around here. You probably got more professors at Western per capita than any church in America. I mean, good grief. It's, you know, you're, 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 you're educated, not, not terribly affluent, but certainly affluent. I'm telling you, this church should never, ever struggle financially. Why? Because of the, of the ways God's blessed you. The way He's blessed you. Now, the blessing, <laughs> the way he's blessed you, he expects us to bless others. And the way we do that is through our tithes and offerings, our service, our encouragement, our willing to try new things, to be flexible and pliable. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little stiff, aren't you all? My grandmother used to say she slept with Arthur and Bertha. Arthritis and birthositis. <laughs> I'm feeling some of that in my, in my bones. I'm not as flexible as I want to be. But I want to tell you, my mind, I still want to be flexible in my thinking, don't you? I don't want to grow old before I grow old. Does that make sense? I don't want to grow old before I grow old. Now, my body, I, I, you know, I can do a little bit of that. I try to work out and eat right and get plenty of rest. and all kind of, But you know what? Aging still happens. It just does. I ain't figured out how to stop that clock other than die. You know? And I, don't, I ain't ready to do that yet. So, but my mind, I'm still learning. I'm learning new stuff. I'm trying new things. This woman did something extravagant, and we're talking about it today. What are you going to be remembered for? 
Now, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I remembered Richard Nixon. Some of you read about him. But when you think of Richard Nixon, there's one word. What's that word? Watergate. He did a lot of good. But the only thing he's remembered for is how he ended in disgrace and dishonest. What will you be remembered for? Of being a generous person? Not just money-wise, but I'm talking about generous and in being willing to be flexible and to try new things and to be generous and encouraging people. I've been on staff trying to change things. And I'm telling you, there are people that have the spiritual gift of criticism. And they're real good at it. They've got it down. they got one of them sharp tongues that can cut you to shreds. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, now, Brother Dan, I love you, but. <laughs> and then they butt you all over the room. You know what I'm saying? Well, what I came to realize is that the people that are that critical generally don't have a good heart. I don't mean the pumping part. I mean the spiritual part. You, Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit. We talked about that last week. He also said, um, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and uh, destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust or destroys, or where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This woman, Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus, had a changed heart. She had a good heart. And she gave this extravagant gift because of what Jesus had done for her. What has Jesus done for you? You see, your giving and your serving and your generosity has to be connected with the grace of Jesus Christ. And if it's not connected with grace, what you'll, what you'll begin to do is you'll become legalistic. I'm working with a church up in, farther up in Kentucky. I'm not going to tell you the one it is, but... Uh, because some of you, you probably got, everybody in Kentucky is related, right? I mean, there's, there ain't three, there ain't three steps of separation. I mean, we're, we're all cousins of somebody, you know. Lord have mercy. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, he was, I was meeting with him uh, two weeks ago. And they were getting ready to build a new building. And uh, they got some people that disagree with their building because they think it talks too much. And they said they, they want to save money. And I looked at that pastor and I said, listen, you show me in this book where it says the church is in the saving business of money. You show me where that is. We ain't a bank. You, you, you don't exist to save money. You're a steward of money. You, you want to be a good steward. But, 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 but wouldn't it be awful if you had a huge bank account and Jesus comes back and the pagans get it? You want to use that money for the gospel. You want to put it in a pipeline and reach boys and girls, men and women for Christ. Some of you are more worried, oh, we got to save money. Save it for what? Our job is to save souls. Hello. Church I served when I went there, the building was falling apart, the roof leaked, we had a flat roof, and 
Every time it rained, we had to put buckets out. And, and I went to the deacons, and I said, guys, we've got to fix this building. And the treasurer was a deacon. He said, we ain't got the money. And I said, well, I, have fa- I actually have looked at all the finances, and we got $60,000 in a CD. He said, well, Brother Dan, that's a rainy day fund. I said, Brother, it's raining. It's pouring. (laughs) And I got them to see the need, and we didn't spend all of it. Well, we spent a good bit of it because my philosophy is, listen, whatever people give, we are to give back. We're to put to work for 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 the gospel. Listen, we want to be able to tell a new pastor. We want to, this search team needs to be able to tell them, we're good. Our people are generous. Our people have connected, given to grace. And we don't have to squeeze people. They just give out of joy. Isn't that the way it ought to be? Because let me tell you, a dead church doesn't need any money. They really don't. There will be churches that in the, in the pandemic, they're going to die. And you know why they're going to die? Because they weren't willing to adapt. And I want to say, and this is a little hard, but I'm saying if they don't want to adapt and if they're not reaching people, they ought to die. And there's going to be some of them die because they're not willing to make the changes that the pandemic has put upon us. You see, we've got an opportunity now, both online, we've got an online presence. We ain't never going back from that. That's never going to disappear, not in our lifetime. I mean, I hope I'm not a hologram someday and somebody, you know, it's a, they, 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 you know, I got, I'm zoomed in enough and Lord have mercy. I'm scary enough in person. You think about zooming. I mean, that's really frightening. But, um, you know, the, the deal is the changes that we've made, online Bible study and in-person Bible study, we've got to figure out how we're going to disciple people. We have an opportunity to evangelize people like we've never had in the history of, King, of, of Christendom. We have an opportunity to reach people that we've never had. we got to be ready. Because I'm telling you, a live church needs money. This woman gave what she could, gave what she had, and she gave it to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you. That you give not only of your resources, but your time, your energy, and your effort. And Jesus commended her. He said, what she, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, Eastwood Baptist Church, in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a, in memory of her. I want to be that kind of person, don't you? I read a story years ago, true story. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. Uh, the church was going, getting ready to build a building. They were going through a capital campaign, needed to raise money. And there were people that just didn't understand why they, why they needed money. And that's always true. Uh, people don't understand. But this pastor wrote this article, a true story, of a guy on their fundraising committee named Don Linscott. Now, I'm going to read it to you. On a hot July afternoon, my wife gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. For three years, we had tried unsuccessfully to start a family So our joy was great with the arrival of a son who we'd already decided to name Lance. Lance was born before it was acceptable for a father to be present in the delivery room, for which I was very thankful. 
I waited in the hallway just outside the delivery room at precisely 4.13 p.m. I heard a sound I'll never forget, Lance's first cry. The nurse emerged with a smile. You have a baby boy, he said. Yes, I know. I never doubted we'd have a son. I can hardly wait to get my new family out of the hospital and back home. The wonderful glow of fatherhood, however, soon dimmed when I was asked to to visit the business office of the hospital. They wanted me to pay for Lance. It seemed to me that my wife and child might be held hostage until I paid the hospital bill. I wrote the check paying all the expenses in full, freed my family, and we made our escape. That check turned out to be only the first of hundreds, maybe thousands, I would write on Lance's behalf. Children are expensive. There was formula and food to buy, doctor's visits and vaccinations assaulted my banking account. Diapers and toys took their toll, and and clothes were a constant drain. Just about the time we'd get the kid a wardrobe, he'd grow, forcing us to start all over again. As his age and and size increased, so did the expenses. Soon it was baseball gloves and Nike shoes and uniforms. Then there was glasses for his eyes and braces for his teeth. And then disaster struck. Lance became a teenager. That was cars and dates and name brand clothes. Then came college. Lance had always and only wanted to be an architect. It seemed to me that Lance would be in school until he was 42 years old. Expenses soared. Tuition, books, drawing tools led the long list of essential expenditures. But of course, just like parents everywhere, we were happy to be able to help him. And we did all we could to support him and his growth and his dreams. And then one day, Lance died. On a bright, sunny, beautiful, and horrible Halloween day, 21-year-old Lance was buried in our church's cemetery. Afternoon, I walked away from his grave, and since that day, I've never spent another nickel on Lance. That's how I learned it. Death is cheap. Death can be sustained without giving. It's living that is costly. It is growth that is expensive. Our dreams, visions, and hopes require sacrifice. Death doesn't. And that's why I'll never be part of a church that doesn't need money. A living, growing, thriving church will always require the continual, consistent, and sacrificial financial support of its members. Death is cheap. But you don't want a dead church, right? And you don't want a dead pastor. You want somebody alive. It's got energy. It's got a vision to reach Warren County and beyond. Let's make sure that when he gets here, that we're doing, each one of us are doing our part. You say, well, where do I start? Well, you ask the Lord to show you. He will. A good place to start is 10% of your income. But some of you say, well, I can't do that. I'm upside down. I'm over my head financially. We'll start where you can. Start with an amount or start with a percentage. Give 1% or 2% or whatever. But start somewhere. And let God show you that out of His abundance, He will supply your needs. And as you begin to grow in that, the Lord will continue to grow you. And this church, I'm telling you, I've traveled the country. I've preached in not every state, but in a lot of states. I've preached in every county in this state. I've never been in a church that has more potential than Eastwood Baptist Church does. Right here, right now. We've got to be alive 
We've got to be sacrificial. We've got to be offering God our very best. Because He's placed us in a place to reach people, boys and girls, men and women, with the gospel as never before. And I fully believe that the best days of this church are yet to come. And it needs to be us. Really what Kevin Ezell said, and I know Kevin pretty well, he said, what happens next, it's up to you. Let's stand to our feet as we pray together. Lord, we pray we'll support this Annie Armstrong offering and that reaches people in North America. But Lord, we also pray that we'll be sacrificial in our giving to support the ministries right here at Eastwood Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for our search team again. We lift them to you. Pray for your protection over them. Be with them as they begin to have conversations with candidates face-to-face. And be with that, those candidates, Lord. We, we want the right person, Lord, your person, for such a time as this. We pray for our church, Lord, that we'll get ready. Our hearts will be ready. And we should never have to struggle financially. Because, Lord, you have blessed us beyond measure. So, Lord, today... We commit ourselves afresh to you. We give you our time, our talents, and our treasures. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.